Democrats notched some critical victories in Tuesday's elections while DeSantis had a very bad night. We'll dive into the returns. North Carolina Republicans pushed through a restrictive abortion law overriding the governor's veto. How did a purple state yield a Republican supermajority? And what will all this mean for the women of North Carolina? We'll then turn to the debt limit fight. Biden and members of Congress are set to meet today. How close are they to compromise? And if they can't, can Biden just ignore the debt ceiling? Some legal scholars say yes. Then, as we predicted, CNN totally screwed up their Trump town hall. We'll size up the arguments for and against their decision to platform Trump and give you our take. Finally, Elon Musk is under fire for suppressing speech in Turkey on the eve of a critical election. Is this self-proclaimed free speech hero prioritizing his wallet over his values? Will his newly announced replacement as CEO make any bit of a difference? This is Majority 54. Ravi, we're in the same place. People watching can see that we are actually in the same physical space this time. Yes, we are coming live from New York City in Little Italy at um, the Branch Studios. And it's not normally blue behind us, but we were tearing down some wallpaper. Uh, but we realized we're in the same city. Why not just do it together? And uh, so welcome to New York City. How's the trip been so far? It's been awesome. Uh, my wife and son are in the other room. Uh, and uh, you just gave True a t-shirt, which I don't think he realizes you went downstairs to the shop next door and bought for him. But I won't tell him. So he's very excited. Uh, and I actually we're happy went to, be to the fire department. No, I no, did not. Uh, I saw yeah. that shirt in the window. It's fine. I'm not going to tell him. I thought it was a very kind but gesture. I think this is the only third time we've done a recording in person. The other right. two times in Kansas City. City, which we won't talk about the last one of those. But uh, we have some good news to report on the front end of this episode. There were some elections this week. They didn't get a lot of coverage, but I think they were really important for Democrats. One was in Jacksonville. Uh, Donna Deegan, who's a Democrat, was elected mayor of Jacksonville on Tuesday. So yesterday, as of this recording, which really shakes up the politics of, you know, this is the uh, largest city in Florida. I think we don't, you know, Jacksonville doesn't get a lot of love, um, but she's a former television news anchor. She defeated Daniel Davis, who's a Republican endorsed by DeSantis, who did not have a good Tuesday, not just because of this election. So this is a big deal in a state where I think Democrats have been dejected recently. I think so. I also never know how seriously to take like mayoral elections, right? Like if it's like well, it's like good in, news in, for us, so we have to. Yeah, so it's, so it's, it's so it's huge. It means it's everything. <laughs> it's about <bellwether. laughs> yeah, uh, but that's that's the thing, right? It's like if it's like a state senate race, if it is a congressional race, you're like okay. Because those things have become so partisan and so uh, almost parliamentary at this point. Like, right. It's like parliamentary elections. But, you know, like it's a city. So what I don't know is stuff. Was the trash getting picked up on time? Was that, you know, so we don't know that kind of thing. Um, but we do know that she was wildly outspent. Uh, and DeSantis like leaned into it. And he's I think he won that area. Right. Mm -hmm. He won that county yeah. last time. So. I think it's fair to say she overperformed. It's not. It's definitely not bad news for Democrats. It's been a bellwether district. If you look at it, it's kind of switched hands right. over time. So that's a good sign for us. Uh, there's also great news out of the Pennsylvania House. So there's a victory in a special election on Tuesday, which gave the Democrats the 102 seats that they need to control the agenda in the Pennsylvania House. And so, you know, the Senate is a Republican majority. But this just means that, you know, this is this is a state that we need. Uh, not just the presidential level. There's been a lot of great work. Shout out to Arena and other organizations that have been investing in those state house and Senate races. I remember just years ago while I was trying to raise money uh, to flip the state house and people would laugh us out of room saying that's never going to happen. And now we got to the point now where we're holding that state house and we have the governor's mansion, obviously in Shapiro, who's like a rising star within the party, the Fetterman victory, 
things are looking up in Pennsylvania. Well, because you have the governor's mansion, you have the secretary of state's office because in because Pennsylvania is one of the 14 or so states that appoints the secretary of state, which matters, you know, like when you want the votes of that state to go where they're supposed to go, like to actually be done fairly, which seems to matter in presidential elections in America right now. And then uh, the other piece to it, though, is that wasn't I'm, I'm trying to remember the bogus objections about election about you know the electors and all the stuff that led to january 6th wasn't there like a whole argument that was based in the way the legislature in pennsylvania had set up absentee voting during the i mean it was point being like a unified republican control of the state legislature in pennsylvania could actually have devastating national impacts in a presidential election so to have the house be controlled by democrats is is important Huge. So there's also some good news out of Colorado Springs, where an independent candidate who aligns with Democrats defeated Republican Wayne Williams in the mayoral runoff. This is a county that Trump won by 16 points in 2016 and 11 points in 2020. It has not had a non-Republican mayor since 1997. This is like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think, isn't this where the Air Force Academy and like Fort Carson, I mean, this it's like a pretty conservative area. Now, again, it's a mayoral race, but... Uh, Clearly another bellwether for the rest right. of the country. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. means everything. Yeah. It's, uh, everybody stay home. It's I, all good. Ohio is going to fall next. Yeah, it's next is Ohio. <laughs> then finally Texas, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> this, is the, this is a side. This will be the year for us in Texas. But look, all great news. It could be worse. Uh, and then, you know, on the sort of mixed results front, we have a showdown happening in Kentucky. Trump's candidate won the Kentucky gubernatorial primary beat a DeSantis back candidate. DeSantis just did not have a good night. His candidates did not perform really well. Uh, so now it's going to be Bashir, the Democratic governor of Kentucky, which is just a miracle. It reminds me of Kansas. Like we have a Democratic yeah. governor um, going against Cameron, um, who's a pretty young African-American candidate in the governor's race. It's going to be like, this is going to be a serious challenge to Bashir and something we need to keep our eye on. Do you remember when, because this is Bashir, this is the son. Yeah. Andy? Is this Andy? Anyway, this is the son. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when he like really came onto the scene? It was when uh, he had to decide whether or not to, he was attorney general. And he this is just, I'm just remembering when this dude popped onto the scene. He had to decide whether or not to uh, bring a case, I think, to like defend the state's law of banning same-sex marriage. And he, he chose not to. And he like went on well, TV. I don't Do you even remember, remember this? that. No. And people can look it up. This was... 2014 I think and so and it was like a very tearful press conference where he talked about all the reasons he was not going to defend the state's same-sex marriage ban uh and so I just think it's really interesting if you went back nine years and you and you said to somebody watching that press conference with which at the time in Kentucky seemed like political suicide right Right. like you know I'm sure now if you did a poll, same-sex marriage, probably the majority of people would be in favor of yeah, it, even right? In Kentucky, probably, yeah. But but not then. And so if you were to say, yeah, that guy will have a good chance to be reelected as the Democratic governor, like that's how fast things change. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know why wow. I brought that up other than that's encouraging. And, uh, you know, one, well, and actually, so if you're listening, get out there, send some money over to Bashir. If you're in Kentucky, go out there and volunteer for him. It's a really important race for us. Uh, and then we had an election denier who lost a challenge to the GOP's Secretary of State, Adams, uh, in uh, what I, I think. I think that's in Kentucky. That is right? in Kentucky. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, so that was a primary. Yeah. So that's good. At least you know another you know election denier 
who lost. So that's all good news, but we have some bad news this week. The um, In North Carolina, the GOP-led General Assembly on Tuesday voted to override a veto from Roy Cooper, the governor, over a bill that would ban most abortions after 12 weeks. And so um, this was a 72 to 48 vote in the state house. Now, you may be wondering how in the hell a state that's purple has 72 to 48 Republicans, but you know maybe we'll get to that. Well, before you even get to that, can we talk about for a moment, this is a good example of why being governor is not always as much fun as it looks like. Because if you look at what, at the time that like Roy Cooper has had as governor of North Carolina, it started with, like he won that race, and do you remember one of the very first things that they did? The Republican legislature- Took all his power. They just like stripped him of all sorts of power, right? And then, and then they end up with the supermajority through gerrymandering. Like every case that goes to the Supreme Court, it seems like on gerrymandering or, or gets headed to the Supreme Court is out of North Carolina. It's it always, and, and they're the ones who, keep getting their districts redrawn, like them and I guess here, uh, over and over and over again, uh, because they can't seem to figure out how to do that constitutionally. But my point is, is like, in a state like North Carolina, or like Missouri, or some of these states, like, don't get me wrong, like the governor is super important, but they can absolutely neuter the governor as well. And when you have a, a legislature that is complete, not just like, it's not just split government, it's not just, oh, it's a Republican legislature and a Democratic governor. It's like a really Republican legislature. I just don't, I'm just saying, I don't think it's that fun to be on defense all the time. And I just, I appreciate people like Rory Cooper who will go and do that job and constantly be on defense. Like you get some stuff done and then you spend the rest of your time defending the stuff you got done. And I think, you know, and I think on the national politics front, you know, Trump, who tried to play this game that he was a moderate on abortion, took credit for this. I think, Brett, we have a video of this. Let's go to that video if we've got it. We had no power. Now we have tremendous power. We actually have the edge. And we'll pick something that's going to be very, very good for pro-life. Many pro-life people, you know, they're talking about more weeks than what Ron is talking about. But uh, I'm going to decide and I'm going to be in there pushing. And I'm the one that got rid of Roe v. Wade. So, like, we've got to make sure that the electorate knows this. If this guy is the nominee, which is looking a little bit more likely than it was just a couple months ago. Really likely that you know he can't talk out of both sides of his mouth. Like, this is the guy who, in a CNN town hall, which we'll get to, talked about how he wants us to default on the debt. He's taking credit for some very unpopular policy. We've got to make this stick. Can somebody finally find the proof that this dude has paid for an abortion? Like, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know if that's okay to say. When it comes, do you think it's going to affect It won't matter. You're right. (laughs) What am I even talking about? Like, forget it. Let me take that back. He was was found liable for sexual assault this week. Let me take it back because if that happens, it's only going to rain hell upon the brave person who proves it. So, like, it won't even be helpful. You're right. There's there's no point in that. So, all right, putting us back on track. Well, you know what will happen in that case is, like, yes, there were people who say it didn't happen, and then there will be, you know, one pastor after another finding somewhere in the Bible where this is justified. I don't know how. They'll be all for forgiveness all of a sudden. Yeah, I think, Uh, like, uh, Chad GPT will be writing a new (laughs) section of the Bible for Trump. Uh, But this bill, I just want to mention the name of this to talk about how Orwellian this is. This is Senate Bill 20. It's dubbed the Care for Women, Children, and Families. This is the North Carolina. Yeah. 
and and it moves back from 20 weeks to 12 weeks now um the allowable period of time well speaking of like what's frustrating being governor of north carolina like can we talk about the machinations that happened to get it to where it's a supermajority, right like I, Democrats switched, which yeah, is really weird. But people, you know, shout out to, to Greg Meyer down there, a member of the House. He had been warning me that this was going to happen. Right. And, you know, this is the weird thing. You've been in legislature. Like, there's just weird inside baseball stuff that happens. And he was like, I was asking him, like, hey, like, there's been a lot of, there was a lot of puzzling behavior that we won't go into out of, because we were also at Arena, very involved in, in North Carolina politics for a long time. And I just kept calling him and being like, hey, man, what the hell is going on down there? Why is this vote happening or that vote? And he's like, man, I don't even know. Like, it's there's some members here who are not exactly Democrats. Right. And they're actively getting recruited. Like, once you get into the building, you know, that term into the building, they can tempt you with committee assignments. They can tempt you with uh, committee chairmanships. They can tempt you with... I'm not kidding. Bigger Parking office. spots, People bigger, love a bigger office. office. Oh, they love yeah. a bigger office. In a world where everything is the same, everybody has the same stuff. When you have something more than like literally in the in the um, Missouri legislature, I remember people used to count how many steps it was between the floor and their office, and then it was like, well, how many steps to so and so's office? How many steps? And if you were on because the the uh, House and Senate chambers were on the third floor, so if you got a third floor office as a member of the house a lot of senators had them regardless of party but as a member of the, you first of all as a democrat there were always like three democrats that got third floor offices that were in the house and they were they were the democrats who like voted with the republicans right so it, it, it's a status thing but it's also kind of a little bit of a of, of a scarlet letter too because it's like you're doing the bidding of the republicans ass. yeah well I, I often talk about here in new york i, I said to somebody recently that so much behavior of, of, of politicians in New York could be explained by the desire to have a security detail because it's such a status symbol. Because <laughs> it looks cool. Because somebody yeah. was like, there's like this office that didn't make a lot of sense for somebody around here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but it has a security detail. You yeah. got to keep that in mind. And that is a huge status symbol. Like, <laughs> it's really crazy. It's, well, well, and anymore, I guess, I guess things have changed. Anymore, there'd be other reasons now, sadly, to, to, um, to covet the security detail. Yeah. Um, but let's not let's not lose the fact that there are probably some politicians who want the security detail because it comes with a driver and you can drink as much as you want at all the events you go to. Anyway, point being people, yeah. um, that uh, what's crazy about the North Carolina thing is this woman, Trisha, Trisha Cotham. Uh, so, okay. She's, I think I have this right. She switched parties and that's a big part of why this veto was overridden. But it gets worse than that. As a Democrat, earlier... And I guess this session, uh, right? Because we're, yeah, this year, she sponsored a bill to codify Roe versus Wade. Like, so she sponsored a bill to codify Roe versus Wade. She uh, presumably, I'm sure, voted against the legislation that was going to outlaw abortion after what, 12 weeks, I guess is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 12, yeah. And then she's one of the four, Repu now she's a Republican, and she's one of the four Republicans who previously voted against that bill, who then, flipped in order to override the veto now flipping a vote to override the veto isn't that i mean now on abortion it's particularly strange and in her case it's particularly strange but it happens all the time because like uh because frankly a couple it happens for two reasons one that doesn't apply here usually it's because oh the governor's office actually took a closer look at the bill found some technical problem with it and and then people or 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 the reverse of that and then there's a dispute about it and people flip but more often it's just like oh 
this is now a party line vote. This is, and that's what happened here. This is now a test of your party loyalty. It's not even, and I'm not saying this is right, but in this case, it's not even about where they are in abortion. Clearly these- Or the promises they made to the voters in this case. There was multiple right. members who had promised to voters that they would not take this vote. And somebody in their party, probably the whip or the, or the speaker came to them and was like, you're doing this or you're losing yeah, X. Or you're losing your parking spot. But like <laughs> this, yeah. And this lady, Trisha Cotham, not she didn't just vote against this uh, bill that the governor vetoed. She like sponsored a bill to do the opposite, like a few months earlier. And I don't. And every article I've seen so far has been like she hasn't really explained why. No, like, and nor I'm interested for the time yeah, being. I mean, yeah. when when she and here's the thing: this there is no state with more aggressive gerrymandering than in the state legislature in North Carolina. And there's a lot going on here. We don't have time to talk about it today. This has been going on for years. They've been using computer-generated maps to maximize their advantage. This is a state that's essentially 50-50, and somehow we have this crazy lopsided majority. And you know, my this has to be a constitutional violation at a certain point. Like you, this is, th there's no will of the voters here. And at this point, they're cramming down one unpopular piece of legislation after another, and overriding the democratically elected governor. And what sucks is none of that can be brought up in court, right? Like right. you, like that's that's how messed up the law is. Is you can't you can't go into court and say, well, look, here's what this legislature ended up doing on all these issues, and it's not what the voters wanted. You have to come up with a way under the current law to say why. There was racial inequality in the way it was right. gerrymandered, and even then, I, that we're not—that's not even and that's been watered down. Yeah, they'll find every reason not to go with that. Um, well, but I just want everybody to know Trisha Cotham's name um, because, like, to me, it's a huge deal uh, that Trisha Cotham, like, sponsored a bill to codify Roe v. Wade, and then not long after, over overrode was the deciding vote to override the governor's veto look like this is aggressive gerrymandering yeah and that trisha cotham i'm not a fan what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a break and hear from our sponsors when we come back we're gonna talk about the debt ceiling fight we're gonna talk about cnn and all the heat they're under for that town hall with trump and then we're gonna also talk about elon musk who's suppressing free speech in turkey at the same time while he's you know claiming he's hired a new ceo all that and more when we come back this episode is sponsored by Roan. If you're like me, you understand the pains of finding what to wear. Most clothes are uncomfortable. They may be too tight. They never, you know, actually fit your size because, you know, a lot of us are not exactly small, medium, large, extra large. We're complicated. Sometimes when you find something you like, you can only wear it for a few hours before that important meeting or dinner, and then you have to change into something else. And everyone wants to dress their best. You want to look good at all times. And frankly, it's a confidence booster. So here's the deal. Men's closets were due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man, and here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion with the commuter collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Roan commuter collection. And here's some anecdote. I'm wearing my Roan pants right now. And last week I was at a wedding. I wore my Roan uh, button-down shirt to the wedding at a formal wedding and I will also wear it tomorrow when I just you know go into a coffee shop to have a meeting it's that versatile so it's time to feel confident without the hassle with Roan's wrinkle release technology wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products it's that easy yeah I actually you know not so neatly folded that shirt 
in my bag for the wedding and I was able to take it out and automatically I was able to put it on. It looked like I had ironed it, but I didn't. You know, it's an inside secret between us. So with Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll also be smelling fresh and clean all day on top of that. Ruin is 100% machine washable, so you can dish the dry cleaner all together. We're on the move a lot, and the Ruin Commuter Collection has never let me down. The versatility and overall comfort of the collection is undefeated. I absolutely love it. And even after I wear it all day, I feel super fresh because that Gold Fusion anti-odor technology. At that wedding, I was dancing up a storm, wore it, no problems. So the Commuter Collection can get you through any work day and straight into whatever comes next. So head to roan.com slash majority and use the promo code majority to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to roan.com slash majority and use the code majority. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Well, listeners, I took a photo on Instagram the other day of my brand new refrigerator in my new apartment. No, I've got a grown up refrigerator now. I used to have a refrigerator in this apartment that was like 200 years old. And honestly, it, it looks like it ran without electricity. But now I've got a real refrigerator and I was so excited. I took a photo of it. And so many of my comments on Instagram were asking me, hey, what are all those green bags that you've got in your fridge? And I happily told them, this is Athletic Greens. And it got the top shelf as if it was like, you know, 50-year-old Japanese whiskey. That's how I treat my Athletic Greens. It's the most important thing I take every day. It's the first thing I take every morning. I take it instead of coffee because I'm like a podcast junkie like all of you. And Andrew Huberman says, don't take that coffee first thing in the morning. Drink water. Or better yet, I drink water with my Athletic Greens because it's my nutritional insurance. It means that I don't have to worry about a thousand different supplements. I know that I'm getting my hydration, but I'm also getting 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source superfoods, ingredients, etc. So if you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Trust me, those travel packs are going to come in handy. I know a lot of you got travel over the summer. It's wedding season right now. You want to take those with you, especially going to be up late and taking flights early in the morning. So go to athleticgreens.com slash majority. That's athleticgreens.com slash majority and check it out. So Jason, this debt ceiling saga continues. White House officials and you know GOP congressional leaders are locked in these negotiations right now. The Biden White House initially said they're basically not going to negotiate, but they are clearly. Treasury has said they could uh, that we may default as soon as June first. And there's all sorts of stuff being leaked to the media, everything from certain moderate Democrats saying that they would vote for McCarthy to protect him against his right flank if he, uh, you know, in good faith negotiated a deal with the Biden White House. Members of the GOP Senate are essentially saying they would honor whatever deal McCarthy comes up with Biden. Biden's White House is publicly saying one thing, privately saying another, leaking things to the press. They're clearly negotiating. And then there's all kinds of threats happening behind the scenes, including that you know, Biden could potentially go it alone without Congress and, you know, call the Congress's bluff and take it to the Supreme Court. I'm not sure what to believe in any of this. Um, I don't remember who had who tweeted it out, but my favorite summation of this is the one that just says it's pretty simple. Uh, the Republicans spent a lot of money on tax cuts for rich people 
and now they refuse to pay for it. Right. right. It's just that it's like they bought a lot of expensive things and then the credit card bill came and they're like, no, 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 we're not going to pay that. Well, this is the interesting thing, right? There's like a, a, a lot of discussion of like minting the trillion dollar coin and there's discussion of the 14th Amendment, which says that the debt of the U.S. government can't be questioned. Uh, there's like a cousin of the 14th Amendment argument that Professor Lawrence Tribe from Harvard has been making, which persuaded me, where he essentially says that the you know Congress has tied Biden's hands by asking him at this point if they don't raise the debt ceiling they're basically asking him to pick and choose which laws he's going to honor and not let's go to this clip that point the president will be boxed in there is nothing he'll be able to do that doesn't involve violating some law that Congress has passed either he violates the law that arbitrarily sets the ceiling that's codified in title 31 in section uh, 3101, or he violates the laws that Congress also passed that require him to spend money on various programs in violation also of the 14th Amendment. Right. And there is a unanimous Supreme Court decision, a decision called Train versus City of New York in 1975, that says that when Congress has required the president to spend money on various programs, in that case, it was on a clean water program. He must do so. So if you've got to choose between violating all of the laws that Congress passed for Social Security and military spending and other kinds of spending or violating that one arbitrary debt ceiling, it's obvious which choice he ought to make. Congress leaves it to the president to pick and choose who are the winners and who are the losers. That is, which debts to pay, that is an unconstitutional line item veto. So the only constitutional way through this forest yeah. is right through the trees, and the trees really have to be uh, taken care of. That is, we, we have to pay our bills. All right. I want to say something about this clip and about those of you who listen or watch this show. And I'm looking right into the camera as I say this. And that is that, God bless you, because uh, that is a very helpful clip to this conversation. But for me, like I read articles about this kind of thing. But when it comes to my own podcast listening uh, habits, it's specious stuff. It's it's mostly baseball, some comedy, some movie stuff. The second that I'm listening to a podcast and Lawrence Tribe says title and then searches for the right title to make sure he gets it right in the law, I'm out. Like I'm switching to a different show, but not you. But and this is where you and I are different. I'm like, I eat this stuff up. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I need the most nuanced explanation I could find of something. And I, I do think he has a point. Like, he has a great point, but that's why this show works is because you do that and the people who watch and listen to the show do that. And I don't do that. So I just, I, I wanted to express my gratitude. Now, go ahead and talk well, about Well, no, I just point. think he's got a point. Like, it, it's very simple. Like, Biden, if, if they don't lift the debt ceiling, he's going to have to ignore one law or the other. And I think that's just an elegant point here. We don't have to talk about the 14th Amendment. You don't have to talk about section this or that. Very simple terms is Congress has, a pro like they passed a law saying you must spend money on this. You must pay our veterans. You must pay people in the military. You must pay federal employees. But then you also must only spend a certain amount of money. And those two things contradict. And it's going to be up to Biden to pick and choose or the Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in. And my understanding is he's citing a case that basically said you can't have a line item veto in the federal government, right? Yep. And, and there's probably a lot of people watching or listening who don't know what a line item veto is, 
we have it in Missouri. I think a lot of states have it. Uh, and so like in Missouri, you can pass in the budget, you could pass a bunch of items and they go to the governor, but it's not over because the governor then, it's not a question of just does the governor sign the budget or not. The governor can go in and line, it can literally veto certain funding lines and say like, no, we're, we're gonna save money by not spending this money that they appropriate. It gives a lot of money to the executive or a lot of power rather to the executive. Uh, it, it's a like a, we don't need to get all into that, but the point here is that, that by saying that the president doesn't have that discretion, Tribe's argument is, that means the president doesn't have the discretion not to do what Congress is telling him to do. And in this case, Congress is telling him to do two different things. And one is much bigger than the other. So he's got to do the bigger thing, which is fund the government. Right. right? Um, and not and not default on the debt, really not fund the government, rather not default on the debt. So I think it's a very interesting and practical argument. Thank goodness all of you will get all the way through it. I did because I'm preparing for this show, but in a, in a casual setting, I'm not sure I would. Well, so there's a, if we're trying to predict what's going to happen, right? One option here is that, and the most likely option in all likelihood is that Biden and McCarthy cut some kind of deal. And I think this is going to be politically costly for both McCarthy and Biden. Like McCarthy's got his right flank. They don't want him to cut any deal with Biden. And they keep putting more and more stuff into the negotiating table. They're now talking about adding border security to it and all this kind of stuff that has obviously nothing to do with the debt ceiling. And and even the stuff that a lot of people, like if you read these articles, seem to think Biden is going to negotiate on things like unspent COVID dollars, potential work requirements for Medicaid, uh, permitting for energy. Like these are all things that a lot of people on the left are gonna give Biden a lot of trouble for if he cuts this deal. So both sides, have a lot of reasons not to negotiate. Obviously, the, the reason why they both may come together in the end is that the, the cost of not doing something is catastrophic to the U.S. economy and the full faith and credit of the United States. So one option is they come to a deal. Second, second option is that Biden just calls his bluff and says, look, I'm going to just say this is unconstitutional, what you asked me to do, and he's going to have to put his trust in a Supreme Court that has shown itself to be completely politicized. So we can't really expect much there. Well, what's interesting about that, I was thinking about that, is that if he does that, then it's such a binary question that potentially goes to the Supreme Court, right? Is whether or not to default on the nation's debt, like whether or right. not to wreck the economy, right? right? Take the economy out back and shoot it in the head. And at that point, what do the Republicans do? Because we know that the, that the Supreme Court, they, like, let's be honest, like it's a Republican leaning Supreme Court and like they can be pressured by Republicans. And, right. and, and so like, are McCarthy and them gonna say like, they should rule that he can't do that and immediately put the nation into default? Like, is that what they're gonna do? Because that completely changes the political calculus here. Because right now the Republican political calculus is, if this happens, Biden's in the White House, and, and everybody thinks the ball is, you know, in his court. So they're so they're going to blame him. That's what they think the public's going to blame. It's why they keep saying we did our part. <laughs> we, I joked we took hostages and we yeah. made demands. You know, he needs to be an adult and come to the table. And it's like that that's going to work, I think, right now. But if it goes to the Supreme Court and the whole country knows the Supreme Court is deciding whether or not to default I'm not sure that political backlash comes back on Biden. And so I don't know what the Republicans do. And it's going to come at a do. time when they're ruling affirmative action unconstitutional. They're right. telling people they're not going to get student loan relief. You can go down the list a yeah. year after Dobbs. So we're, and, and obviously you've got, you know, Clarence Thomas, Gorsuch, uh, the rest of them, you know, basically 
know, taking cash payments at certain points from rich billionaires who fund conservative causes, you're starting to see a crisis of legit legitimacy, you know, festering already is going to get out of control. And then if the Supreme Court says, no, he can do this, do we never have to sit through one of these again? That would be wonderful. Right? I mean, would that mean like now the president just flips the switch on the 14th Amendment and we're good to go every time that there's a debt issue? Well, let's hope that's the case. Yeah. Uh, let's turn to this Trump CNN town hall. We talked about it last week saying, you know, we anticipated that something you know controversial could happen here in this uh, <laughs> this town hall and sure enough it did i'm going to start with john stewart who had the following to say about this he said uh the problem with the trump town hall wasn't platforming or a fragile siloed audience unable to be exposed to newsworthy opinions antithetical to their own the problem was an event that was clearly negotiated to trump's approval and owed to access i learned nothing from this town hall about trump and his most ardent supporters i haven't known since 2016 I learned a lot about CNN. Yeah, as usual, like we could do a whole show that's just John Stewart said this, right? And, and, it, and it was right. Um, remember before he did it, the video he put out, Trump was like, "They made me." A, I'm not going to do the impression. I can't do it. But they made me a great deal. How can I not do it? They made me a great deal. They clearly did. They made him a great deal. Right. Like, that it was like a Springfield, Missouri jury in there, man. I mean, it was like they were for the dude, you know. And uh, I I well, don't get that reference, a, but I'm gonna. I'm I gonna... lost a trial in Springfield once, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> yeah, so and it was like it. going to like a corporate retreat, like and <laughs> suing a corporation. It was no fun. I don't recommend it, and I'm still it still burns me a little bit. But my point is, uh, he could have said anything, man. Like, right. and they were. It was a bad look. Right. Well, I, this is so. That's what John Stewart said. And here's the CNN response. Anderson Cooper got on and he has a different perspective. Let's go to this clip. Many of you have expressed deep anger and disappointment. Many of you are upset that someone who attempted to destroy our democracy was invited to sit on a stage in front of a crowd of Republican voters to answer questions and predictably continued to spew lie after lie after lie. And I get it. It was disturbing. It was disturbing to see and hear that person refer to a black law enforcement officer as a thug an adjective he used many times to describe black men, and called Caitlin Collins, the moderator, nasty, which is what he calls any woman who stands up to him. It was disturbing to hear him speak so highly of QAnon conspirators and insurrectionists who assaulted police officers in our democracy on January 6th. And it was awful to hear him spread ridiculous lies about the election. And it was certainly disturbing to hear that audience, young and old, our fellow citizens, people who love their kids and go to church, laugh and applaud his lies and his continued defamation of a woman who, according to a jury of his peers, he sexually abused and defamed. As good a job as Caitlin Collins did trying to fact check him, it is impossible to fact check fully because he lies so shamelessly. Now, many of you think CNN shouldn't have given him any platform to speak, and I understand the anger about that, giving him the audience, the time, I get that. But this is what I also get. The man you were so disturbed to see and hear from last night, that man is the front runner for the Republican nomination for president. And according to polling, no other Republican is even close. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they are voting. And many said they're voting for him. Now, maybe you haven't been paying attention to him since he left office. Maybe you've been enjoying not hearing from him, thinking it can't happen again. Some investigation is going to stop him. Well, it hasn't so far. So if last night showed anything, it showed it can happen again. It is happening again. He hasn't changed and he is running hard. You have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again.
But do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? So I think he's he's I think in a way, you know, he's he's arguing uh, he he's arguing against a position that most of us don't have, which is that engaging Trump in any way is wrong. That's not the point we're making. The point that John Stewart's making and where I sit is. It seems like CNN either negotiated with the Trump camp or negotiated with themselves before they went to the Trump camp and said, "Hey, we're gonna you know, we're gonna you know pick the right reporter. It's not gonna be Jake Tapper. We're gonna pick the right setting. It's gonna be Republicans in the audience." And certainly, it seems you know the Atlantic was reporting that you know we could talk about whether Trump picked the people in the audience or not. But there certainly seemed to be a phone call to Trump's camp saying, "Hey, here's what the conditions are gonna be. The New Hampshire GOP is gonna have a bunch of seats. There's gonna be a Republican audience. It's gonna be friendly." It's going to be prime time. They seem to have either negotiated with Trump's camp or handed him something that they knew would be really palatable to him. And that starts to raise questions about journalism, not about the weakness of the audience, not about any pearl collection going on amongst people who can't handle Trump. We've been hearing Trump forever. It's a question of if you're going to engage him, engage him as a journalist, not as a fanboy. And that's where I think CNN made a mistake. Yeah. Uh, I like Anderson Cooper. Um, I think what Anderson Cooper wanted to do there was to say what Anderson Cooper thought and also defend, you know, the network where he has built his career and I'm sure has a strong affinity too. And also like he, he's got to defend that brand too. It's important. At the end of the day, CNN decided under their new leadership, let's create a big event. Let's put Trump on TV. Let's be the first one to do it again. Whether they did it in those words or not, that's the decision they made. And, you know, when he says he is the Republican frontrunner for president, so therefore, okay, fine. He says stuff all day long, all the time. He has his own social right. media network. If you want to report on it, report on it, right? Like if you want to... And they do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they do. And like, but I was a contributor at CNN for a year and I remember the times when we would go on air to debate something that one of the people they pay to be a contributor also just said on air a few hours earlier and it created like that was at the time that was Zucker's strategy right like he had like I think uh I think I, I was on I know I was a contributor at the same time as Jason Miller right mm. who is yeah just a, a guy who really thinks that um a, a goatee is slimming I mean that's that's who <laughs> that's who Miller's that's his great contribution to things and it's not um and so I he would go on and say some horrible outlandish thing and then they would do like two hours discussing this outrageous thing that was said by somebody they paid to say it on their network and then they went away from that for a while and I and I felt like it really honored the integrity of people like Jake Tapper and Anderson Cooper and Kate Baldwin and all the other great people there um, and now they seem to be going back in the other direction which is really scary because we have a presidential election coming and the whole idea of like oh, he's a front runner for president on the republican side yes he is uh but like he's still a bad guy like it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter and you're not you're not deplatforming him by not putting him on there you just like you said put him on and only if he'll act the way other presidential candidates act like they're not inviting uh, he's Biden suing the network, to, by the way, which is a yeah, thing we got to right, continue. Right. He's suing, he's suing it for hundreds of millions of dollars, and it's like that. That's what's amazing to me. It's like, look, like I don't have a problem with like 
part of this is just Trump's fault. It's not CNN's fault that he's like unprecedented, right? Like he's a he's a he's a front runner for a nomination who has behaved irresponsibly. That's not CNN's fault. No. But what is within CNN? But he tried to kill the democracy. Like, right. But that's what Cooper Cooper was like. Yes, maybe you're upset with him for trying to destroy American democracy. Yes. Here's a rule. Don't fucking put people on television who tried to destroy American democracy. Like, it doesn't matter what they're the front runner for. Right. Or if you can put them the on, problem. be tough and, and don't like. Ask them real questions. Like, about put that. Put people in the audience who actually represent America. Right. You know? So, and then he'll be like, they are representing America. And I'm like, look, yes, he's in a Republican primary, but he's also the, you know, the former president of the United States who's also going to run in a general election. You know, he should be in a, in a, in a, and he's actively rooting on an insurrection that he instigated and saying he's going to pardon those people. He should be accountable to more than the most rabid Republicans in his base. So I've said this stuff on social media and a lot of MAGA people have come into my mentions and been like, oh, are you scared? You're scared that he's getting the truth out there? Let me make something clear. Trump going on CNN and doing that was probably really good for the cause of us, like of the left. Like there's a bunch of stuff he said on CNN that will be turned into ads if he's the nominee and it will be very damaging. It probably made it more likely that he loses the general election. So that's not my issue. Like I'm not saying like, don't let him spread this stuff because it'll it's bad politically for my side. It's probably good politically for my side. I just think it can cause violence. And I think like there has to be a consequence. Like we have to make a citizen's arrest as individual humans. Uh, that's like like a citizen's cancellation of you getting to go on national cable if you try to destroy democracy. See, even I would be fine with them going on. I just think they need to be and, tougher. Yeah, yeah, going on in, in like, an un, unfettered, like say whatever you want you know, to your own audience, have a rally on TV. It was very 2015 and 16. Like you put me like if, if I'm in the if I'm in the, the the least charitable fact pattern of my life, like let's say I I just like, you know, stuck up a liquor store and you were like, hey, I'm going to interview you and ask you tough questions. And I'm like, look, yeah, great. I'll, I'll do that interview, but I need to be uh, amongst my fellow liquor store robbers and it's going to be a room full of liquor store robbers you take the power away from that person interview like i don't have anything against the reporter herself it's the minute you fill the room with people who are going to hoot and holler about sexual assault and stealing democracy and all that kind of stuff and you've acceded to that demand then it makes it nearly impossible for a person to have a strong interview and you can't just hand that kind of stuff away the way that they did it. She was not in a position to cut him off and make him answer follow-up questions. Right. Like, that's the point. And, like, they don't even do that with the sitting president. Right. So. Well, we're going to take another break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about America's favorite CEO, Elon Musk, and his succession plans, but also uh, his, uh, you know, rather questionable record now on free speech. All of that and more when we come back. Breathe some life into your own backyard with FastGrowingTrees.com this spring. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy and natural beauty, let FastGrowingTrees.com help you plant your dream garden and their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. Uh, FastGrowingTrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plant, shrub, and tree varieties for your unique climate. <laughs> unique climate. I don't know why that's so hard for me to say. Meyer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. Happy plants, happy home, right? But sometimes it's hard to know which plants will do best. No problem, because with FastGrowingTrees.com, you get customized recommendations based on your specific needs. Plus, their plant experts are always available to help you keep your plants growing healthy through the season 
and beyond, and no more waiting in long lines and hauling heavy plants around. With FastGrowingTrees.com, you order online and your plants arrive at your door in just a few days. I'm sitting here in my brand new apartment right here, and over on the side of me over here, I got a couple of fast-growing trees over here, so it's not even for people just to have backyards. Uh, If you have an apartment, they have a ton of different things. I put a ficus tree in here, and I love it. Everybody who's been in my apartment has complimented me on it. Um, And with fast-growing trees, 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, you'll know everything will look great fresh out of the box and give you a little bit of an insurance policy there so we join over 1.5 million happy fast growing trees customers go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash five four now to get 15 percent off your entire order get 15 percent off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash five four sleep is incredibly important to me which is why i love my helix mattress so much I sleep on my side, and I love a medium-feel mattress. That's why I got the Midnight Lux mattress, and that's why I love Helix, is they know everybody's unique, and everybody sleeps differently, and they have several models to choose from. You don't have to have the Midnight Lux if that's not for you, and what's cool is they give you the sleep quiz, and you could find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, Uh, and that's what I did. I took the quiz. Jason took the quiz. He also, incidentally, has a Midnight Lux mattress as well, but don't take our word for it. Helix Sleep has over 12,000 thousand five-star reviews and by supporting helix you're allowing them to support us and our show so go purchase your helix and you could thank us later for a best night's sleep helix is offering up to 20 percent off all mattress orders and up to two free pillows for our listeners go to helixsleep.com majority 54 this is their best offer yet and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now all right well Turkey, we're heading towards a runoff election and a very important election in Turkey. You know, Erdogan has been authoritarian. This is, you know, like India, which I like to talk about a lot. And we do a lot of work here at the branch on India stuff. Uh, These are so-called democracies that are backsliding. And actually, in both cases, Musk has been party to censorship even though he has been the so-called free speech Twitter CEO. So he came under fire uh, over the weekend because Twitter took down content among what seems like reporters and uh, critics of Erdogan. Uh, and Musk got rather defensive when Matt Iglesias went after him about this and started calling him names or said whatever. He said his brain fell out. His brain fell out. Which I'd never heard before. This is a guy who took over Twitter, ostensibly he said, because he is the free speech guy. And he seems to have no problem censoring free speech when authoritarian governments ask him to take it down. And he's like, what the hell is wrong with you thinking that we would not censor? Right. And his argument, I guess, is, well, it's either go dark and not have the free speech that we lend to the to the conversation or have some of what we do, which just it was fine. Like, which honestly, I don't disagree with. Um, but think about that but for a it's second. Hypocritical. First of all, like he, he's he's acceding to these things too quickly. There's this organization called the Rest of the World, a, a technology publication, and they looked at it under Musk. Musk has complied with over eighty percent of government demands for censorship and surveillance. That's up from fifty percent in the year before him. So writ large, he's that's being rather. <laughs> he's being. This is the guy who took over saying that he was going to be the free speech guy. Seems rather quick to accede to demands. He's got business relationships with a lot of these countries, and/or wants to have business relationships with all of these countries. He had been in a public flirtation with Erdogan uh, over Turkey. India is obviously the hugest, biggest market. A lot of these companies are 
have very specious records on this kind of stuff. He had previously taken down a BBC documentary critical of Modi in India. So this is not the first time this has happened. There are activists who talk about like criticism of uh, Modi's government, including his home minister of home affairs, who was taken down not just for the Indian audience, but for everybody. And so this is censoring people like right. us too. And so, so there's that whole thing, the fact that he's rather quick to do this. Now other countries who look at this now know that if they threaten him, uh, he's going to cave. There's also the fact that, well, what kind of free speech are we upholding? So in a world where he's saying, all right, Twitter is still up and that's a positive. Well, you're only having one side of the debate. Mm -hmm. So you have pro Erdogan content, but not anti Erdogan co content. And then you have like people commenting on soccer or whatever. Well, that's not, I'm sorry. That's not what <laughs> we're, that's not, that's not a vibrant free speech society. It's not worth it. You know, you have to call people on this kind of stuff. You know, what's funny to me is like the, the parallels between Trump, uh, between Trump, like taking over America and Musk taking over Twitter now. I mean, they've been there the whole time. Right. But we're, we're now at the point where like, if you wrote a fictional story, like a movie about, you know, an Elon Musk character taking over Twitter and all of these things happening and you pitched it, people would be like, it is too on the nose as a satire about the Trump administration. Right. Like they'd be like, it's too close. I mean, he was like, look, I did, I was successful in these other things. Clearly I can do this thing that has nothing to do with these other things that I've done and then runs it into the ground. The, the whole idea of like, I'm gonna, I'm an absolutist on this. And then it turns out he caves to other countries more than anybody else. Be, I didn't know that it was worse than before because he has business in those other, like, I mean, it is, it is really like, you would just be like, come on, you need to be more nuanced in your satire of the Trump era in, in the way you parallel it in this story of this fictional character named Elon Musk. I did not know that it has gone from 50 to 80. That is pretty damning uh, that it's gotten worse. Well, before my computer crashes again, let's talk. No, about, it does look like it might. Yeah, let's talk about this new CEO, though. So he has a uh, he named a new CEO. He's going to start soon. Linda Yaccarino, Yaccarino, who's the NBC Universal ad chief. And I, I find this interesting because he said the following. He says the new role, he his new role will be um, executive chair. CTO, Chief Technology Officer, he'll handle product, software, and psyops, whatever that is. And he says the new CEO will handle operations and marketing. And I'm like, hmm, you're going to be the chair, which means the CEO is going to report to you. And you're going to be a critical, you're basically going to be the executive handling all the most critical functions. And you CEO. own the company. So this is not a new CEO. No, this is not. a COO. Right, right, <laughs> like he is. hired a COO. Yeah. He did not hire a CEO. Absolutely. That's exactly the same thing I thought. The same exact thing. I mean, we don't even need to keep talking about it. Like so, when yeah. I saw it, when I saw it, when I, I thought that when I saw it, I was like, that. now, unlike uh, our, our we, you and I recently talked about how interesting Craig Newmark is. We recently had a conversation about Craig Newmark who created Craigslist and then uh, now like doesn't run Craigslist. He's like a customer service guy there and like reports yeah. to the CEO, which I think is so cool because he's like, I don't want to do... Now that is not what Elon Musk is doing is the point. Right. So. Well, enough of that. We would normally do one for us, but we are dangerously close to my computer crashing again. Uh, I want to say you're in New York. Yeah. yeah, have fun at the show tonight. You're great yeah, going to, show going to my grand uncle's show. Tonight. I have a quick one for us. Let's do it. Which is, I, you know what? It's not even important. I'm worried that this thing's going to crash. And it's not that good. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see New York, New York, the show tonight. We're very excited. We had 
dinner with my uncles last night. We're going to do it again tonight, uh, and it's been great. I did have a grab an oar, which is we talked about Trisha Cotham earlier, who switched parties in North Carolina, and I looked up uh, the Mecklen County Democrats, who want to flip that seat back to the Democrats now that she switched to being a Republican and became the deciding vote in this deal. And people can go to MECDEM, M-E-C-K-D-E-M.org, and give to the Mecklen Co- Mecklenburg County Democrats, who presumably will have a lot to do with helping the eventual Democratic nominee uh, to take out, uh, take out, to defeat Trisha Cotham uh, when she runs for re-election as a Republican in that district. So with that, uh, remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority 54. Please leave a five-star review. We promise next week when we were back to being in our own places again, we won't mess up the, uh, the tech. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.